You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 22 of Aging Starts Now. I'm your host, Tim Takis. And today we're talking about the rules of involuntary discharge and transfer. All right, involuntary discharge and transfer. Well, what does this mean? Discharge or transfer from what to what? What does involuntary mean? And why are these rules necessary? Joining me today to discuss the subject is Patty Bedwell, one of the ECC's elder care coordinators at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Okay, Patty, would you? You know what the topic is, so tell us, a, give us a little bit of context about the title of this episode. So, what is a discharge? Well, a discharge is when you move from the nursing home to a non-institutional setting, like if you went home or if you went to, a, to an assisted living facility. And a transfer is when you move from one nursing home to another nursing home. So it's a facility to a facility move. And that facility would assume the legal responsibility for your care. Okay. And so I mentioned the term or part of this term is the term involuntary. So what does involuntary mean? Well, then in this context, it means the uh, the resident, um, it, it was a forced discharge. It was something that was requested of the facility, nothing that the facility or that the resident had requested. Excuse okay. Me. So why would a nursing facility want to discharge a resident? Well, according to the regulations, there's only six reasons that a resident can be transferred from a nursing facility. And the first reason is that the, uh, the discharge or the transfer is necessary to meet the resident's welfare. So in other words, the facility, for whatever reason, cannot meet the resident's needs. Another reason might be that the resident's health has improved and they just no longer need the services that the facility uh, offers. If there's a concern about the safety of the individual or of other individuals in the facility, that's a reason for discharge. And the same if the health of, of the person or other residents would be endangered, uh, maybe, you know, because of, of something that they might have. Um, another reason would be non-payment. They're just not able to pay the bill at the facility. Those are the main reasons. The other reason would be that the facility ceased operations. Right. Yeah, and things that maybe we don't really see very often, and it sounds like to me would be, you know, more or less, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, necessary. Obviously, if the facility is going out of business, you know, they've got to move the residents, or the residents right. have to be moved. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about medical reasons. Um, now, who, who decides uh, on the medical reasons or on the health or welfare of the resident? 
Well, that would be the care plan team, mainly the nursing uh, department at the facility. Um, you know, it may be that, that the resident had a condition that came up, the facility is not able to, to handle the treatment or something like that. Okay. And so I'm going to assume that uh, all of this has to be documented and maybe a physician has to sign off on it or something like that. Oh, of course. Yes, everything must be documented. And as you're, uh, as you're heading towards a discharge, the facility must document everything that they've done and everything that they've tried in order to come to the conclusion that that's really the only alternative left. Gotcha. Um, so what about, uh, you mentioned about if the resident doesn't pay, uh, and we all know, meaning us and, you know, uh, you know, to do elder care law, uh, we know that, uh, there are, there are clients that come to us that are unable to pay the nursing home. And so they have to apply for Medicaid or 10 care or others like other mm-hmm. public benefits. Um, so what happens in those circumstances uh the the resident has no money uh he he or she um uh has to go to the medicaid program and uh obviously the nursing home is probably or many nursing homes are going well medicaid pays less uh than what we would get from from a private pay resident so we really don't like it when you're applying for medicaid so you have to come up with money uh, before we're going to, um, uh, to, to, to allow you to stay in the facility. Is that the way it works or sounds like it doesn't? Well, no, not, not really. Actually, a, a big majority of residents in nursing homes um, use Medicaid as their payer source because it is very expensive to stay in a nursing home. So for those people that have very little money and they need nursing home services, they go into the facility and they apply for Medicaid. Once they apply for the Medicaid program in the nursing home, they're what is termed Medicaid pending. And what that means is that the facility cannot discharge um, for lack of payment. It, It shows the facility that the resident is looking to this program they're looking to find a means to pay for their care there now while that um, application is being processed the resident will still be paying their portion of of the stay which is their income so the majority of their income is going to go to the nursing home but the rest of the money that's just kind of um just sitting there just waiting for medicaid to kick in so does the so does the law about unlawful or wrongful discharge does it apply to any facility uh, any any nursing facility uh, or do you have to like be a Medicaid resident or, or how does that work? Well, any facility that accepts money from the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services um, must follow these guidelines. Okay. And that's even if you don't, um, even if you're not trying to apply for Medicaid? Exactly. Exactly. The facility is bound by those rules. Okay. So you have a resident that is applying for Medicaid and, um, uh, and they're, and they're, going to be, it may be uh, several weeks or months before Medicaid starts paying. 
what obligations does the resident have while they're waiting for Medicaid to pay? Their obligation would be to pay their patient liability, which is going to be the portion of their income that's paid to the facility for their portion of the care. Okay. Uh, Medicaid is a, uh, um, uh, they pay a part, and then the resident also pays a part. So, so long as they're making that payment and they're paying their patient liability, then the facility has no, uh, no reason to discharge them, at least not for failure to pay. And so at, at what point uh, does a resident who has applied for Medicaid, um, okay, and, and as you know, that denials are common or not, or they happen mm -hmm. once in a while anyway, people are denied for Medicaid. So if a resident is designed for Medicaid, is that it? Uh, do they have to then leave? Can they be discharged? No, they have the ability to appeal the or the, uh, the denial of Medicaid. And so long as there is an appeal ongoing, then the resident um, cannot be discharged from the facility. But what you need to know is that if at the end of the whole process, it's decided that they are not eligible for the program, then they're responsible for all the time that they had been paying just that patient liability. Okay. So they would be owed, they would owe the facility the private pay right for the time they were there. Well, you know, when you mentioned, you know, of course, Medicaid is a federal program, uh, a federal and state program. Um, gosh, I would think that you know, if you're a med if you're a resident and you applied for Medicaid and you did not you got denied, you could try to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, does that you know do they can they use that tactic? Well, I don't know quite how high they could go with an appeal. I've never had one go quite that high. Um, usually, what they'll do they'll appeal two to three times, and then you know. <laughs> Once they get to the administrative, once they, I guess, once they get through the administrative level, is probably, yeah. you know, maybe at that point, you know, they're either going to pay up or or they're going to move on. So, yes, I doubt they could get any action from uh, going further than that. Right. So, we, we're talking about residents and nursing homes. Does a does the law apply of of, of unlawful discharge or wrongful discharge, does that law apply to assisted living facilities? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, only the nursing homes are governed by the federal regulations. Okay. Um, the assisted livings are governed by the state regulations. So whatever state the assisted living is in, they have a set of guidelines that they follow and they would have their discharge procedures in those. So, of course, we're here sitting in Tennessee, and maybe if you're, you know, I want a listener is, you know, is listening from another state, they would, federal law, of course, applies everywhere, at least in the United mm -hmm. States, but, you know, we have certain laws in Tennessee that may, that may govern um, uh, discharges from assisted livings or even nursing homes. Exactly. And each state will have, even for the nursing home, each state has what I always refer to as a companion guide of state regulations for the nursing home. They work together with the federal regulations. 
But for assisted livings, they are totally governed by their state. So it's only going to be those state regulations that matter. And here in the state of Tennessee, our discharge regulations are similar to the nursing home uh, regulations for discharge. Uh, Residents do have to have a 30-day notice. Mm -hmm. So how does the process, you mentioned the 30-day notice, um, how does the how does the process works works for um, for discharging uh, a, a nursing home resident? Okay, well, if if the facility has determined that the resident is to be discharged for one of the six reasons that we stated, uh, what they have to do is give a written notice to the resident and their responsible party, just letting them know that this is their thirty day notice of discharge. That letter is very specific in the way that it's written out. It must list um, information about who who to contact if you want to appeal the discharge. And there's a it will have contact information in there for your the appeal office for your state. And you would contact that person. And once you apply for or once you appeal the discharge notice the facility then cannot discharge until that appeal has been heard. And that usually takes around 45 days or can take up to around 45 days. So during that time, um, you know, the facility cannot force you to leave. Well, Patty, you know that in many nursing homes or many, many residents or some residents of nursing homes really don't have advocates. They don't have family members. And maybe they would not be able to, um, to to take those steps on their own. So how would those persons get help? Well, each, each facility is assigned an ombudsman. And the ombudsman office also gets copies of the discharge notices for review. So if, if my loved one were to receive a discharge notice, one of the first things I would do would be to contact the ombudsman to see if there's anything that they can see that's within this letter that would, um, you know, allow me to appeal. They'll, they'll step you through what you need to do. And the ombudsman also, they, they review the letters to make sure that it meets the regulatory standards. Um, so that's one option. And then, of course, just looking at that letter and just contacting those people that are listed there to help you with the appeal. Okay. So what happens to a nursing facility that, all right, so they've, they've done a discharge and it, it's determined to be unlawful, you know, or wrongful. So what happens to that facility? Well, the facilities are, are governed, as, as we said, by, by the regulations. And if those regulations are violated, and a complaint is made and investigated and found to be true, then the facility would be cited uh, for the infraction and they would incur some monetary fines or, you know, something along those lines. Right. So there are, there are account- consequences you know, and there is some accountability to the facility that violated yes. something. Yes, there definitely is. And when the uh, surveyors, which go into the nursing homes annually to do their their surveys and make sure everything's okay, they actually look into the discharges 
and they asked for copies of some of the discharge notices that had been sent to make sure that everything um, works how it's supposed to. Well, you know, we're, we're, when we're, while we're recording this, we're in the middle of the, the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So have the, have the rules or the law changed um, on, long, on wrongful discharge just because of the pandemic? No, actually, they have not. There have been a lot of changes in the nursing homes, you know, due to the virus and the pandemic. But the discharge and transfer regulations remain intact and unchanged. So tell us, for our listeners, what, what can residents and families do to, to avoid a, an invol- involuntary discharge or a transfer? I mean, I'm going to assume nobody really wants that to happen, even the facility. So uh, how, how, can they, how, can the, how can they avoid this from even happening? Well, one of the first things I believe is helpful is to have open communication with the facility staff. So, and if you do that, no discharge notice should ever come to you as a, as a surprise. But really, um, it's easy enough to avoid a discharge or transfer so long as you follow the facility policies and you make sure that your bills are paid. Okay. All right. So anything else to add, Patty? I will say if anyone ever has a, a question or a problem about this, they're more than welcome to call our office. We can help them. If they're in a facility, their their specific ombudsman information will be found in the facility as well, and they can contact them for information and assistance as well. Okay, great. Thank you, Patty. That's it for today's episode. We've been talking with Patty Bedwell, one of the elder care coordinators here at Takus McGinnis Elder Care Law, about involuntary discharge and transfer. I'm your host, Tim Takus. So long until next time when we bring you another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Takus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.